of my favorite subjects, and that's, of course, the kingdom of God. And um, i got to tell you, I, I've just been blown away by um, Ron Tolfrey. I just have to acknowledge you tonight. And is that Pastor Nazir? Pastor Nazir, welcome. Glad to have you with us. I haven't had the pleasure to meet him yet, but I've heard a lot of great stories. Uh, but anyways, I just want to acknowledge our missions team. They're doing such a great job. And I don't know if you were here Sunday, but the South Africa team gave their testimonies. And these young children that were able to go to Africa, thanks to your efforts and your funding of that, it was just amazing because it was just life-changing for them. And to hear their testimonies, I don't know about you, but I was just so moved. And when you think this little church from Roseville, Michigan, is sending people to places like Pakistan and South Africa and China and Mexico, and it's just amazing what God is doing in our midst. Amen? Yeah. So I'm just so proud of you guys and just how seriously we take that command to go and share the gospel all over the world. And it just blows me away every time there's a team out in the field. And uh, our Palestine team is out in the field right now. And uh, it just the way it worked this year, we kind of clustered all the trips together. But it's just wave after wave of testimony. And we're working on getting those testimonies out to you. Um, we're starting a videotaping uh, procedure where we're going to be able to videotape a lot of the testimonies that are happening through the missions teams and also um, through the prodigals that are coming back too so that you can see the fast and the prayers and how they're paying off and the answers that we're seeing from those. So I'm really excited because we're launching that team real soon. In fact, Steve's behind the scenes right now running around like crazy trying to get that team together. So um, more to come on that, but I'm really excited about it. But tonight, like I said, I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. And if you can grasp these principles, it will revolutionize your walk. And your walk will never be the same. And how you approach God will never be the same. And how you operate in the workplace and in the world will never be the same. Because you'll begin to understand the sense of mission that you have in the world. It's not just about going to church on Sunday and Wednesday. It's about how can we bring the kingdom to bear in our society? And how can we infiltrate this world and impart the things that Jesus has commanded us to impart and to teach others? So I'm excited to share this message, and I hope that it will touch some of you to, to really be motivated to move into a whole new level of where God has us going. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, <laughs> and uh, if you could turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 20, I'll be throwing a lot of scripture at you tonight, so kind of machine gunning you once again. But uh, just want to get a lot of word and, and just really go through this concept of bringing the kingdom to the earth. So Luke 17, 20, and 21, if you can get there. It says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. I love this. This is so great. Because can you imagine the Pharisees that are probably taunting him, 
They've probably been watching him for quite some time, and they finally get fed up with waiting because they're waiting for him to step out of bounds, right? And they're like, okay, Jesus, you keep talking about this kingdom, so when's it going to happen? When's it coming? And don't you get that right now, you know, as a Christian? When's your king coming back? You know, God is not slow in his returning. He, he wants to, to get every last soul that he can. But people will mock us, people will chide us. And so here we have the Pharisees chiding Jesus himself, right? And um, I just love his answer because he says something that so shocked the Pharisees that, that they were just totally dumbfounded. But we have to define terms because the word kingdom that the Pharisees were looking for is defined as a country, a state, or territory ruled by a king or a queen, right? So they're waiting for Jesus to probably do some kind of political overthrow and ascend to the throne over Israel, and that's what they're, they're looking for. And he's not seeing any kind of military coup forming. They're not seeing any kind of uh, weaponry or any kind of massing of people to overthrow the government because they think it's going to be a governmental or territorial overthrow, right? And Jesus is talking about a different kingdom, which is the second definition. It's the spiritual reign or authority of God, right? He was talking about the authority that God has given him to rule over the earth. And it's just an amazing confrontation that he has with them. And I was thinking about Islam because, you know, it's a matter of defining terms all the time, isn't it? Because the media and those that are Muslim will tell you we have a religion that is a religion of peace, right? But you have to understand what peace in their mind means. It's not what you and I think, peace, right? It's, it's a totally different definition of peace. What they think it means, in fact, the word Islam means submission. And their definition of peace is when Islam rules the world. When everyone submits or they die. And so when Islam is totally having a world domination. And so that's what they mean when they say peace. When Jesus says kingdom, he's talking about the authority of God. And when the Pharisees were talking about kingdom, they were talking about a geographical rule and reign, weren't they? But Islam is a system that is political, it's religious, and it's legal, isn't it? Because they even have Sharia law in it. It penetrates everything that happens. And I would suggest to you as Christians, we need to saturate all the influence centers that we have in the world today. We need to dominate in the political realm, don't we? We need to dominate in the workplace, in the business place. We need to dominate in the governmental centers. And everywhere we're called to be, arts and entertainment. And, you know, I've talked to you about that before, the influence centers, we need to take control of those mountains once again and understand that Christianity should permeate every aspect of the world today. Amen? And I think you heard tonight with some of these prophetic words the weightiness of the season that we're coming into. Our prophetic team assembles in November and December and we compile the prophetic bulletin and we do it for the upcoming year. So the words that we were receiving for 2015 i got to tell you, it, it was pretty heavy stuff. And uh, I don't even know how I'm going to write this stuff. I mean, it's got to be the Holy Spirit because the words are given to us by the Lord and then we try to compile those words 
and put them into a narrative form. And I'm almost at that place where I'm like, here, you guys deal with this stuff. Because it's, it's a time of preparation. We've got to get ready. So tonight, again, I just want to make sure that we understand terms, that we understand that we have the ability to rule and reign throughout the earth. So Jesus says to them, basically, um, it's not coming with your careful observation, right? The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were all checking their doctrine. They were all checking Jesus' doctrine. They're trying to figure out, you know, where is this guy coming from? And is this the guy that's going to fulfill these observations that we have of who this Messiah is supposed to be, right? And he says, it's not going to come that way. You won't be able to observe it in that fashion. He tells them it's not a geographical location. You know, it's not a place that you can touch or feel. And in fact, he says, you're in the midst of it. If you look up that word mist, I, I have a problem saying my D in that word, but if you, if you look up the word in the mist, it means you're in the middle of it. Jesus says, you're in the middle of it right now. You're looking squarely at it, and you guys can't observe it, you can't see it, and you can't comprehend it, but here it is standing right in front of your very eyes, and you're missing it. So we're in the midst of the kingdom of God right now, aren't we? I know it's hard to understand, but Jesus went on to consistently preach this message and demonstrate that the kingdom of God had come near to them. And the kingdom of God is different than the gospel of salvation. The last hundred years, we've been telling people that they need to get saved. And that's part of the gospel of the kingdom. That's part of the good news, but it's not the complete message. And I think for the last hundred years, we've majored on a portion of it at the error of neglecting the majority of it because it's a lot more than just getting saved. Because the thing is, is a lot of people have this attitude, well, I got saved when I was 15, and now I just coast until maybe I turn 80 or 90 and I die and I got my ticket in. But if you understand what this message is all about, it's we are active right now. We start from the minute we're born again to the minute we die and go on to eternity to bring the kingdom of God in the earth and in all our spheres of influence. So it's more than just salvation. And I really want to drive that point home. It's, it's the entire authority of God that we're talking about. The church, um, again, like I said, has emphasized salvation and neglected the greater kingdom message. We confuse our destiny with our assignment. Our destiny is to go to heaven, right? But our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. And if you understood that, if you really believed that, how much differently would you act? How much differently would you vote? How much differently would you behave if you truly believe that, knowing that other people are watching your life? How would you spend your time differently? You know, we, we teach a power of a focused life, which accounts for every minute of your day. All 24 hours, when do I sleep? When do I work? When do I worship? When do I spend quiet time with God? When do I pray for others? And you map out your entire day and you'd be surprised how much time that you waste doing needless things and they take away from your true calling to, to follow God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So 
This has caused us to lose a major source of our power and many of our destinies. So let's look at what Jesus taught and what he demonstrated. First of all, I gave you um, all the scriptures that I'm using tonight, so you should have got a handout. So I'm up to Matthew 3 right now. And this is uh, Jesus' assignment, and it was prophesied. Before he even arrived on the scene, we have this prophecy. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He knew what was about to happen, didn't he? He knew that Jesus was about to arrive on the scene, and he was setting the stage, and he was telling people to repent and to get ready, and the time is coming short. And we kind of have that trumpet call going on through the earth right now, don't we? Many of you who are prophetic or who have a sense of urgency in your spirit know that something's coming. And you have a sense of urgency that what's coming is big and I need to be prepared and ready. And so here we have John the Baptist saying, man, this is going to be big. You better be ready. And he says, I'm not even worthy to unlatch this man's shoes when he comes, when that Messiah comes. So then Jesus backs it up by proclaiming what his assignment is. And that's found in Luke chapter 4. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And if you remember, this is when he goes into the synagogue and he opens the scripture to Isaiah 61, and, and he just reads this scripture, and he proclaims it in front of the entire synagogue, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it said he closed up the scroll and said, Today... In your hearing, this prophecy is fulfilled. Oh man, that didn't go over too good. In fact, they escorted him right out of the city, right? It said they tried to push him over the bluff of the cliff, and he escaped through the crowd. Now can you imagine if anybody stood up in church today and said, this is my call, this is my mission statement? But we should be able to do that, shouldn't we? Each and every one of us should be able to say with clarity, these are the things that God has called me to do. Because Jesus says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father in heaven doing it. How much so should that be our same heart, our same mission? Can you imagine if you got up and made that declaration that the Spirit of the Lord is on me? Right? We leave this place saying, man, I didn't feel nothing. God is so far away. But how would it be if every day that was your testimony you started out today and you just said, man, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to speak to? What should I say? Can you imagine if you were able to just say that part of it? And he says, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Are you hanging out with poor people? Or are you always seeking the favor of the rich people? Right? We, we choose... You know, whole different way than what Jesus would have chose. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. And when was the last time a demon went shrieking out of the room just because you walked in it? Or when was the last time a blind person says, man, I've been blind all my life and now I can see? Or a deaf person said, you laid hands on me and my ears opened wide. Man, I don't know about you, 
but this is the kind of kingdom that I want to be part of. And it's here. It's now. Jesus said, you're in the midst of it. You're right smack dab in the middle. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. So Jesus didn't just quote a scripture. He lived this. He practiced it. He modeled it to his disciples. And remember uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim was teaching on this, when, when John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod, right? And he was about to lose his head. And he's locked up and he's expecting Jesus to come riding in on a white horse to rescue him with all the disciples, right? And clean out that jail. And he sends his disciples, John sends his disciples to Jesus and said, uh, are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? You know, the hour is getting pretty urgent for John, right? And what did Jesus tell him? He said, go tell John what you see. Man, the, the sick are healed. The blind are starting to see, right? The good news is being preached to the poor. Jesus told, tell John, I'm doing the stuff. I'm doing everything that God the Father has commanded me to do. So that makes me the one. Probably wasn't very good news to John at the time. But you know what? John said, he must increase, I must decrease. And and John definitely got the decrease on that end of the deal, didn't he? But I suspect he was pretty okay with it. So what did Jesus himself preach? I think so many times we miss the bulk of what Jesus preached. You ever read through the Bible and just said, I want to hear Jesus' sermons? I got so many books in my office because I love some of the old-time preachers. I got all the volumes of Charles Spurgeon. I read his sermons all the time. John G. Lake, I love his sermons. Smith Wigglesworth, and, and you just read those sermons. But I'll tell you what, nothing beats the sermons of Jesus, do they? They're just phenomenal. They're awesome. So what did he preach? Did he preach just the gospel of salvation? Or did he preach more than that? In Luke 4, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary, solitary place. The people were looking for him, and they came where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. He wanted to preach the gospel of the kingdom. If you look at the New Testament, there's 109 references to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So do you think it was pretty important that the message of the kingdom of God got out there? It's the main thing that he preached on. He used many parables describing the kingdom of God. And if you remember reading through um, many of the Gospels, Jesus would use parables all the time, right? says the kingdom of God is like the sower. The kingdom of God is like the parable of the weeds. The kingdom of God is like the parable of the mustard seeds. The kingdom of God is like the woman, woman with the yeast. And so he was constantly telling parables that told them what the kingdom of God is like so that they could understand. And what Jesus' disciples taught, what did they teach? It says in Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So even his disciples, his apostles, taught the same message. It says in 1 Corinthians, this is Paul speaking, 
He said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. How important is it that we begin to demonstrate the Spirit of God? You know, we're so caught up in trying to be polished speakers. We're so caught up in trying to come up with these sermons that keep people entertained, that keep people um, just compelled to come back the next week. But what if God really showed up in our midst? You know, could we handle it? Would we be able to take it? You know, I was talking to a guy today, and, and we're just talking that a lot of pastors won't allow it. They won't allow the Spirit of God to show up in their churches because you know what happens? You have to pastor it. You have to, you have to manage it because people can't deal with it. Because you know what? You act a little strange when the Spirit of God lands on you. Because you know what? I, I was telling him as an example because he was having a hard time understanding. I said, if you stuck your finger in a 220-volt socket, I guarantee you, you would act a little funny. <laughs> I've seen people get poked before. I had a job as a welder, and I saw guys get fried on a regular basis. I've been poked a few times myself, and so my heart doesn't quite beat the way it's supposed to, I'm sure. I'm just kidding. But, but you don't act the way you're supposed to act because, you know what, we're wired for 12 volts. And when you get that surge, that power overload, you might scream, you might bark, you might roll around on the floor, but you know what? it's going to take you a little bit to recover from it because it will zap you. It will zap you hard. And so the thing is, is we can't be judging other people because when they truly get hit by the Spirit of God, they act differently, don't they? And so we can't let that take us out. And so what's coming into our churches as people begin to encounter what they're looking for, what they're hungry for, they're hungry for healing, they're hungry for deliverance, they're hungry for their addictions to be broken. They're hungry to start living differently. And you know what? That's going to take some patience on our part. And it's going to take some love on our part. And it's going to take some real mercy on our part to say, just because they're not like me. You know, they might smell like alcohol. You know, they, they might just be high right next to you. I've had that. I've had people almost OD on me in the church. But you know what? It's okay because this is where they belong. Because we're equipped to deal with it. We're equipped to handle it. Amen? And so instead of letting us take us out, we need to take it out. Amen? Okay. So the disciples taught that, and and Paul said, you know, I'd much rather show you than to teach you. I'd much rather demonstrate it to you than try to be slick with you. And that's what the world is so tired of, aren't they? They're so sick and tired of our words, of our speech. In fact, they label us haters because we're trying to convince them with our words. But what if we tried to convince them with our actions? How much different would it be? How much credibility would we have if we showed and demonstrated the kingdom authority that's within each and every one of you as a believer of God? Man, I'll tell you, Something's going to change. Amen? Amen. So what did Jesus pray? Matthew 6 says, this is the model prayer that Jesus gave his followers. He said, pray like this. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying there? Saying, bring bring heaven to earth. Demonstrate the kingdom right here on earth. We should be bringing the kingdom to bear and seeing more miracles out there than we're seeing in here. And I'll tell you what, we need to see a lot more miracles in here. (laughs) I'd be happy with that. But my heart and my desire is to begin to see the miracles happening out there. And I don't care what you say about some of the revivals. And some of you remember the Toronto Revival. But when the Toronto Revival hit, we went there a couple times and there was a lot of flesh in that revival. I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of flesh. But you know what there was? A whole lot of spirit too. A whole lot of spirit. Because you know what? We know people that when they drove into the city limits, they had to pull their cars over because they couldn't even make it to the church because the Spirit was just hovering over that city of Toronto, right? And if you read some of the old revivals, like Cane Ridge, Kentucky, they said they had to pull over the wagons as the pioneers would come in for the church services, for the tent meetings, and the description said they stacked them up like cordwood. They would just pass out in their wagons, and they would just drag them to the side of the road, go water their horses for them, because the Spirit of God was so heavy. And I remember being in the lobby in a hotel in Toronto talking to one of the bellhops, and people were just falling down all around me. And he wasn't saved, he wasn't a believer, but you know what? He was perfectly fine with it because it revived their city. He said, something's happening. He said, it hasn't happened to me yet. He says, but this happens all day long. So these people aren't acting. These people weren't in a church service showing off. They just couldn't stand under the power of God. And you know what? They acted a whole lot different than they probably did in their home church in Roseville or Warren or wherever they came from, right? Because there was a freedom in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit was hovering over that place. And I long to see that. Okay. Um, You guys all right? A little bit more? What Jesus rejected, Satan tried to tempt him with a counterfeit kingdom, didn't he? Luke 4 says, this is when Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and the enemy came to tempt him. It says, the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan tried to get Jesus to forfeit the kingdom of God for the kingdom of this world. And he's been successfully doing that to all of us, hasn't he? He gets us to sell out. Every one of us has our price and every one of us has our weakness and he knows how to get to us. And, and making this trade is like trading gold for silver, isn't it? It's not a very good exchange because what we could have is pure gold and we're giving it up to get silver. And I'll tell you what, any exchange, any trader will tell you that's not a very good deal. So the conflict that we have right now is if you read a lot of commentaries and you listen to a lot of theologians 
They'll talk about this kingdom of God and they'll say, it's not for today. It's not yet. It's a coming kingdom. It's a future kingdom. Some will acknowledge that it's for today and it's for the future. And they word it like this. They call it the now and not yet kingdom of God. And so what it does, it causes us a lot of confusion, doesn't it? And the best way I can explain it is an example of a pregnant woman. My daughter Hannah just had twin girls six months ago, but she was pregnant for nine months. And during that nine months of her pregnancy, she was a mom. You know what she was doing in the nine months as she was carrying those twins? She was washing their clothes. She was building their nursery. They were putting the cribs together. They were getting their bedding all set. They were getting the bottle station prepared. She was getting diapers. They were having baby showers. And everything she did, her body was nourishing those babies. And she was fully a mother the minute she conceived of those babies. And that's how the kingdom is, right? We're fully conceived. It's, it's on its way. That baby is coming. And, and amen. It's just an awesome thing. And so she was a mom, but not yet a mom. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. This was really driven home to me when we used to go pray outside the abortion clinics. And the sidewalk counselors, it would get me every time. I mean, I would just be choking back to tears, and sometimes I would just let the tears go because as these girls would come in to get their abortions, they had to walk by the sidewalk counselors, and they would see us lined up praying for these women as they went into the clinic. And as they would come in, they'd come in defiant. They'd come in with this attitude like, you can't stop me. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to just defy you. And I know exactly what it is I'm doing. But you know what those sidewalk counselors would do every time? Is they would come in, and they'd go from the parking lot to the building, and they'd have that look on their face. And the clinic would send escorts to escort these women in so that they wouldn't be harassed or bothered by the people who were silently praying. But the sidewalk counselors would say, good morning, Mom. How are you and your baby today? Guess what? There would be a stutter in their step every time because nobody explained to that young lady what they're about to do and the gravity and the weight of the situation that they were about to enter in. And the sidewalk counselors had 45 seconds from the time they'd exit their car to the time they got in the building to plead with them to reconsider. We can help you. We have resources. You don't have to do this. Just wait another day. They're just trying to buy time. And as the women would enter the clinic, as they would pull open that door, the sidewalk counselor would say, I'm praying for you and your baby. That's the last thing these women would hear before they enter the clinic. And I'm not condemning anyone here who's had an abortion, but I'm just saying they don't realize in many cases what's about to happen. Because they don't understand. Nobody explained to them that they're fully mom, even though they weren't a mom yet. And it just changes everything. And the hardest part is if you stayed there long enough and you would see them come out, they came out a whole lot different than they went in. And I can't tell you how many girls would exit that clinic and just collapse out of guilt, out of shame, out of remorse, 
because it dawned on them what they just did. And I'll tell you what, it was heartbreaking to see. So we need to continue to pray for that and pray for these women who have been through that horrific thing because a lot of them have post-traumatic stress and a lot of them need our help and our love and our understanding and our caring. And we need to be able to minister to them as well. Amen? So that's the conflict. The not now, or the not yet, but um, the, I'm sorry, the now and not yet kingdom. So Jesus prophesies the future kingdom. In Mark 4, he says, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. And Jesus came as a mustard seed, didn't he? He came as that tiny little infant in in that little manger, and he grew into something really big, right? And it's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So lastly, how then shall we live? I love what Pastor Bill Johnson says. He says, to defer the kingdom of God to a future dispensation is irresponsible. Do you get that? To say, it's not for me to worry about. The kingdom of God is something much later. He's saying that's irresponsible because we're not doing what we're called to do. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto us right now. And he says, I give it to you. His assignment should be ours. We should be healing the sick, casting out demons, and preaching the gospel. Jesus said, these things and greater shall you do. So we worry about the one who has no authority except the authority that we give him. And when we agree with the lie, we empower the liar, don't we? We need to break the lie of the enemy and stop giving him power and authority over our lives. I told you, when people come to me for counseling and they start rattling off their list of things, and it's just like, who does that sound like, Uh, the devil? Then why are you agreeing with it, you know? What does God say? And then they start telling me, well, God said, well, agree with that. That's what you want to go with. John Wimber, who is one of my favorite Christian leaders, many of you are familiar with him, some of you aren't, but he started the Vineyard Churches and the Vineyard Music. It was really prominent in the 80s, early 90s. Um, he started a denomination, over 1,500 churches, And after he died, they put together a compilation CD, and his wife Carol wrote kind of a eulogy, and she talked about John when he was in rock and roll. He was a keyboardist, he was a producer, and a recording engineer, and he took, after he got saved, all his music, all his manuscripts, and all his scores, and he had just signed a major record deal with a major record label, loaded it into the family station wagon, and took it out to the Yorba Linda dump in California with Carol with him. And he threw it all out because he had just gotten saved. And he tossed it all out. And she said, at that moment, I knew that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not live. And when John Wimber did that, he gave birth to some of the greatest Christian music ever written, He gave birth to over 1,500 churches, not just 
a church, a denomination. And if you're not familiar with the vineyard, those churches operated in the power and the Spirit of God. And they had a prolific healing anointing and mantle upon them. They were known for healing people. And it was just an amazing ministry to see what John Wimber was able to do because he was a rock and roll artist who got saved from drugs and alcohol. And one day he asked one of the elders of his church, when are we going to do this? And they said, do what? And he lifted out his Bible and said, this. When are we going to do this stuff? And they said, that's not for today. That was then, this is now. And you know what? He refused to believe it. He said, I gave everything up for this. I want to live this way. And he went on to do it. Amen. I just want to read you one thing, um, one last thing. It's kind of long, but I saw this young man, Mitchell, who um, used to come to IHOPE on a regular basis. And listen to this post that he put out. It starts off with Isaiah 40. It's a scripture. He says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's Isaiah 40. Now listen to what this young 23-year-old man said. And this young man loves God. He's been all over the world. And he has sold out his life to do uh, exactly what we're talking about tonight, to demonstrate the kingdom of God in the earth. And this is what he says about that scripture. He says, I love the fact that this prophecy has only been partly fulfilled. The fullness will come to pass when all flesh shall see it together. We live in amazing days. The coming days will be challenging, but incredibly glorious and rewarding. God is raising up another generation of Nazarites who don't kneel to the status quo, are not swayed by the opinions of man, and won't settle for anything less than God's glory being revealed to all. These fierce lovers, though unconventional and considered eccentric to many, will confront darkness head-on with the light of Christ and turn many hearts back to the Father. Amen. That's what I want. This is one of my heroes. I don't know about you, but this is someone that has the proper perspective. And I just pray for this young man that he goes on to fulfill the full destiny. Because you know what? The Lord can use this guy in a mighty way. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Worship team, if you could come out.